Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again with another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud will thank our sponsor, title sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Somebody that we've been proud and fortunate to work with since uh, since day one of the Nolcast. Uh, fantastic sponsors to us, fantastic product that we're allowed to brag about, and uh, just great people, and uh, something that we are forever fortunate to be able to uh, be a part of. So thank you to them with that uh We'll jump into the meat of our kind of the meat and potatoes of tonight's podcast, which will be a listener uh, mainly driven by listener questions. A lot of these come from our Patreons. Again, if you have an opportunity or interest of supporting the Nolcast further, would point you to patreon.com backslash Nolcast and look forward to tonight's uh, talk again. Uh, we thanked Madison Social uh, previous podcasts for the fantastic time that we had on the Stump the Bud trivia game. That was a whole lot of fun, casual setting, uh, in in a small way, kind of very representative of what Madso does. Uh, just great community, great people, great team, uh, and we'll forever partner with them and uh, very fortunate to be able to do so. Absolutely, man. So let's go ahead and get into these questions. Christian asks, hey, can you talk about the future of Doke? I heard recently on JCS, it's Jeff Cameron's show, friend of mine, uh, that master plans for the stadium include a, a reduction of seating and it adding some shade, uh, but he did not go into much more detail than that. Is there any info you can provide on this topic? Uh, thanks and hope y'all are well. As far as projects that are specific to Doak, uh, we've certainly heard some similar ideas as to what it sounds like was being shared with Jeff Cameron. I think you'll continue to see areas like the Champions Club be successful and possibly uh, expanded upon. I also think that, uh, like what you see uh, when you're talking about adding shade, I think that maybe you'll see a time where uh, you'll never see like a closed doke, but you'll see a doke that almost almost look, could possibly look like the old Cowboy Stadium, bud, where where you have a big kind of hole in the roof. Uh, again, I'm talking twenty or thirty years down the line here, but there's a there's an idea that I could see kind of a permanent shade being. Uh, cast across the across parts of the stadium uh, with additional uh, screens and things, and I think at some point in time it could look like a, a stadium that has an open roof. Yeah, so I, I think college stadiums in general have been a, a little bit behind some of their peers in terms of, of amenities. You, you look at all the things that are available now at baseball stadiums, NBA arenas. Um, you know, like I, I live here in Orlando now, and a lot of my friends have, have Magic season tickets and. I don't really have a whole lot of interest in the magic, but like they'll take their kids to the games and there's so many other things you can do at these games other than just sit in your seats and, and watch the games. And I think that's really kind of the the way you have to hook season ticket holders because it's hard to get people to go and watch just a full slate of games. Now, football is different because you don't have as many games as, as a basketball season or a baseball season. Jeff and I have talked about this prior and, and I know his feelings on it. Um, I haven't seen the master plans or anything official, uh, but reducing stadium capacity does seem to make sense. People are, are staying home more. They, they have nicer TVs. That their, their setups at home, quite frankly, are just oftentimes better. And you have to make the stadium experience uh, special and, and probably, probably one that's more of a premium product, right? I, I, I think um, in order for college sports to work on that level. So reducing it and, and making some of those seats actually uh, inhabitable on, on the days that are that sunny makes a lot of sense to me. 
All right, we'll move on to the next question, which comes from Austin. Austin writes, do you think a college football season will be all or nothing? The reason I ask is California just released a restriction of classes in the fall semester. Would it be possible for the Southeast to be cleared to go without having to wait for the Northeast or the rest of the country? I I think that there are a lot of different things we have to discuss here. All or nothing, and he kind of clarifies this in the second sentence, but there's a lot of all or nothing possible definitions. does that mean all conferences start their play at once and, and, and agree to play? Does that mean all teams within a conference? Does that mean all the schedule or none of the schedule? Does that mean like you either get the full thing in in the fall or you want to push it back to the spring? I, there are so many options on the table right now. We, we've done a couple stories on this at, at 24-7 Sports, including one that I contributed to. And we talked to about I think it was 20 uh, athletic directors, conference people, most of them off the record because they don't want to put their names on, on something like this right now. The, the California ruling, or not ruling, but sort of like restrictions on classes being online was quickly followed up by some other state schools even saying, oh, hey, but uh, but that doesn't mean campuses are closed, right? The library is open and, and we're going to have student services open. And the reason for that is because these schools really really need to get their deposits for these kids who are going to be enrolling in their schools in the fall. And if you're a parent out there and you have a college age kid, like let us know, tweet us at the Nolcast uh, or give us five stars and, t- and tell us in, in the five star reviews if you want uh, just how excited you are to be paying full college tuition for kind of half ass online classes and no real college experience. I, I can, I, I have a feeling I, I know what y'all are going to say. Right now, I will say all everything is on the table. I do not think college football season will be all or nothing. Um, in order of what we talked to the, the ADs about, their preference was, was generally pretty much in lockstep. It would be playing the full season and starting on time is option number one. That's what everybody wants, clearly. I don't know that's going to happen, but we'll see. Option two uh, was to move the season back a little bit maybe play some of those September games in December, bump the playoff back slightly, but basically start like October 1-ish. And, and then, you know, you're, you're playing some games uh, in December and then you, you probably play your playoff at the end of January or, or early February, which is really not a problem. Option three and four were sort of the, sort of the ones where they differed on. And it kind of depends on how your school makes money. Some of the schools wanted to bump the, uh, the season back and play in, in the spring if it meant that you could get the entire season in. But other schools preferred to play the full season in the fall, or excuse me, to pl- prefer to play an abbreviated season in the fall. I think what you're seeing schools, and then obviously like the other options were just, okay, just play your conference-only slate type thing. Ingram, stuff that we're seeing now is, I, I do think that the conferences are going to try to work together to have everybody start on time. If that falls apart, then you're going to have a couple other weird things going on. If you have a league, like if that breaks apart and you have a league where, where all the teams in the conferences or in the conference are good to go, I, I suspect they'll play and play each other and then get their non-conference games in. However, and maybe we just don't have a national champion this year. If, if that comes, if push comes to shove, let me throw you a curveball kind of on this question. Cause I do think to him, he says, would it be possible for the Southeast to be cleared to go without having to wait for the Northeast or out West? 
sure. Yeah, I think it's possible. Now, I imagine that maybe some of the other conferences could kind of get together and, and make, make it a pain in the ass. What happens if you are in a league that is not geographically sort of all, all within the same region? I don't know, like the ACC. What if 10 of your ACC teams are in states that say, yeah, we're, we're good to go provided we have like social distancing in the stands, we're at 25% capacity or whatever. And four of your teams in, in the league are in states that say, no, we cannot play games uh, yet. Do you wait for those teams? Do you play a 10-game conference season? What What do you do there? What, what, what do you think about all these options? There's as many options as, as as much time as we have to talk about this. And I think... Um I think it's good that we do it because I, I think it's not going to be a simple thing. I think some of the ideas that you talked about are very much going to be in play. And your hypothetical, uh, let's say that the rest of the ACC wants to play, but the unfortunately the states of New York and Massachusetts have had um, you know a second wave of this and are in some kind of state ordered lockdown. I have no idea what would happen to the Boston College game or the Syracuse game um, or how that would play out or, or what that would be like. I think of, uh, you know, you mentioned all these conferences are, are kind of big and, and few of them fit into some kind of simple geographic footprint anymore. And as such, maybe the congruity of thought may not be there as much. Uh, the ACC would be one that would immediately come to mind that might uh, suffer for this or then the you know, the Big 12 is a fascinating situation. Obviously, you have a great amount of concentration uh, with the Texas and Oklahoma schools. But, you know, what if that part of the world's fine, but uh, West Virginia and, and the East Coast is complicated? I, I just think that uh, nothing about this year will be simple. Nothing about this year, at least at this point in time, looks like it's going to be clean cut. Uh, I think people as supporters and institutions – um, are going to have to be incredibly flexible with how uh, we get this college football season on. And I think almost everybody's schedule uh, will be impacted in some way, shape, or form, either with a cancellation, a movement, a postponement. Uh, I don't know that anybody's schedule is going to look exactly like it does on paper. I agree. I mean, I, I, I think that's, we, we really don't know what's going to happen. And, and like, I don't want to say concerning, but the, I'll, I'll just be honest here. Like the frustrating thing for me as someone who is trying to plan editorial two and three and four months out is that like, it doesn't seem like the conferences really know and, and they are sort of at the mercy, not of the NCAA, because I don't think the NCAA has as much power here as people think it does, but they're kind of at the mercy of, of all these different states, especially because there's really not much of like a unified federal response on this. And you know, the states are sort of, hodgepodging their, their, their way through it. And like, we also don't know if like what happens if there's a second wave and a second spike. Like I, I suspect if we get a big second wave of this, they're going to push this stuff to spring, right? Like, like if, if your state, which opened up pretty, like you guys are kind of one of the first big states to really open back up, right? What happens like, and, and Georgia's pseudo cooking their books a little bit as far as like how they report the numbers, right? They, they changed up their reporting uh, once they opened it back up to kind of make it like if that eventually catches up with them and they have some kind of big spike now that a lot of the social distancing stuff is not being uh, as enforced and, and you have more businesses opening up, which I certainly feel for them. Um, 
if, if you have a big spike there again, and, and it ends up like setting back the country's response, I, I think you'll just see the stuff push to spring. I think situations like this, we could just clearly define what we know. It's not a whole lot. What we do know is that these institutions are as financially dependent upon getting this college football season as you can be in athletics. And I think uh, uh, flexibility of thought and schedule uh, will be there in every way possible to get this season in. And uh, I think that both of us are more confident it takes place in more kind of the traditional half of the year than maybe we were two weeks ago. Uh, but I, at least at this point in the second week in May, uh, it's hard for me to forecast a season that's not impacted in some way, shape, or form. Pat asks our third question tonight, and uh, Pat asks, it looks like there have been a lot of offers being extended out to recruits recently. Do you think that's because there's not much else to report on currently? Is it due to the staff playing catch-up and taking advantage of the quarantine to review film, or is it a sign that they are missing on their primary targets and are moving on to options B and C? Okay, well, uh, it has nothing to do with there being less to report on. Uh, You might be noticing the uh, increased number of offers uh, because there is less news elsewhere to report on. But but the less news is not a factor in more offers going out. It may be a, a factor in fans noticing the offers more. Right now, we have 709 commitments as I speak to you on uh, early Wednesday morning. On May 6th, we had like 627 uh, this is ridiculous. Last May 6th, for that class, we had 330. I believe I spoke about this in a recent Nolcast episode, but I, I will reiterate, uh, kids are flying off the board literally like twice as fast to this point as they ever have. We have more commitments now for this senior class than we did at this time in any two previous years combined. Now, here's the problem. These coaching staffs are having to take commitments from players, and some are, and some are not willing to do so, but, but some are, are willing to take a lot of commitments from guys who they've never seen in person or who they have not seen in person in maybe six months or a year and have never had a chance to work them out in person. Now, the new coaching staffs are at a major disadvantage here because like, Florida State's got a lot of guys they're dealing with who they've never met in person and who not, not only have they not worked them out in person, but they've never even seen them. In person, because a lot of the, a lot of their guys don't have a whole lot of Florida ties. They really haven't recruited Florida schools, and the ones that did recruit Florida schools weren't necessarily recruiting the same prospects because they were at different uh, level of schools before. So, I think a lot of this has to do with sort of the market dictating your terms. With all these kids flying off the board, there's no doubt that some of their Plan A and, and Plan B targets are are coming off the board. I think this is a smart reaction to that. But, but let me ask you this too. I, I We spoke about this last night on, on the previous episode of, of the Nolcast. So Florida State offers Garner Langlow. I, I suspect, given the timing of this offer, that like they didn't pick up any new information as far as Langlow as a prospect. They've, I'm sure they've seen his tape from his, his Orlando Under Armour. I know they looked at his, his junior film. I know they have a general idea what this kid looks like. Given that it took them quite a while to offer him, my guess is like they would have preferred to wait and see him in person. But Auburn offered, and then Florida offered his teammate, Jake Slaughter, who is committed to Florida State, the, the, the center, right? Who I know FSU likes, likes a whole lot, and apparently Florida does too. 
they, they both like him a little bit more than I do, which which is is interesting there. I think sometimes market forces dictate that you have to throw out more offers. Now, what happens if Langlo wants to commit to Florida State? If you're FSU, do you take it? I, I assume you do, and you just kind of mark him down as, all right, here's one of our developmental guys we're taking this year, even if it means like you might miss out on some dudes who are a little bit better, uh, who you think you still have a shot with. But a lot of this has to do with like the standards for who you are offering a scholarship to right now are much lower. I, can we say this? that they're, they're lower than they would normally be for prospects you have not seen in mid-May. Right. A lot of these kids would get their offers June, July when they come to the school summer camps and work out and be seen. But right now there's no eval period. A lot of these schools are flying blind and and they're throwing out offers because everyone else is doing it. What Florida State is not doing right now is taking commits from players they haven't seen. We we had Mike Norvell tell us that, hey, I think we've had four or five guys who tried to commit. Um, And some of those kids, I think they'll probably circle back on because they're not kids they necessarily dislike. They're just kids who they haven't seen in person. I I, I know who, who two of them are, uh, but I think their hands being forced on some of these offers definitely as as some prospects come off the board. Yeah, it's a good question, and um, I would agree with Pat. I don't think there's you know I don't think more scholarships are being extended because we're lacking uh, college football news, but I certainly do think there's a bigger kind of focus on them, particularly in this fan base with the offensive line and, you know, the inability to address that and as many preceding recruiting classes. And, uh, I do think that there is, um, a little bit, maybe of a, a more broader fear out there, uh, amongst these college staffs. And I don't mean fear tied to, you know, their personal well being, but I do think that there's a, a bigger fear about kind of getting left behind this year on a class uh, before, you know, before you kind of were even planning and necessarily is of getting out of the starters gate. Uh, I do think that there are some institutions that are giving offers and taking offers that are uh, almost more reflective about, you know, getting, getting left behind in a change recruiting landscape that uh, maybe they're not otherwise comfortable operating in. I think that's, that's pretty fair. I'm going to take a quick break here to remind you about two of our, our favorite sponsors. Resolution Home Loans with our friend Shannon Young. Shannon did my mortgage. He also did my refi. And he, he's done, I think, over 50 uh, no-cast loans already. It's just great rates, customer service. And, and, and you know what you're getting when you call Shannon, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Give Shannon Young a call. Also want to tell you about Travis Johnson. One of the absolute best family law attorneys in the state of Florida, over a decade practicing family law, board certified, 850-435-9919. It might not be a number you need right now, but it's a number you need to take down just in case you do need it. Again, Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm, cases throughout the state, he'll come to you. Also, a a free consult for NOLCAST listeners and flexible rates available during this time. And Travis reminds you that any modification made for any child support or alimony uh, is only retroactive to the time of filing, not to the time of any decrease uh, in, in income. So uh, if you're one, one of the folks who's been impacted by uh, the economic downturn due to the, the shutdown and the quarantine, that, that may be something you need to look into. 850-435-9919. Back to the questions, Bud. Stephen asks, can you discuss why it has been an issue getting top-tier offensive linemen to commit 
and ultimately signed with Florida State. Seems we can offer immediate playing time more than any of the top programs in the country. It also seems the elite alignment aren't particularly interested. Is there anything specific, or is it multiple factors causing this issue? Um, love all the work you do. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Stephen, for your support of the Nolcast, and thank you very much for your question. Sure. So, um, a couple things here. Number one, like if you want to just kind of trace this back, let's go back over like the last five or six years. I think Rick Trickett was a pretty good offensive line coach for for quite a while, uh, but he did have a reputation as being someone who was like really hard on his guys, and he was. Uh, not all that interested in, in playing the recruiting game, uh, w- which I think was was a bit of a problem because a lot of these offensive linemen who are really, really good do sort of act more diva-ish, I, I guess you can say. They, they act like a little more like, like some of their skill position counterparts than perhaps they used to. Not, not everyone is Joe Thomas who doesn't decide to show up to the draft and instead goes goes fishing on a lake and just gets a call from his agent that he's been picked uh, whatever number one overall or whatever by, by the Cleveland Browns. So I think Florida State kind of got a reputation as a place there starting in probably 13 or 14 of, of a place where really top tier offensive linemen didn't go. It wasn't seen as cool to go there. It, it, mostly in part, I think, due to the, uh, the coaching. So that was a, a bit of an issue. There's a bit of a cultural issue too that I know guys on the coaching staff back, this was probably 2013-ish as well, that there were certain elements of the locker room to where some of your elite offensive linemen wouldn't necessarily feel as, as comfortable playing there. Um, it just that they, they might not might not fit in. And that continued really over the last probably six or seven years. So that that's a factor. Uh, we, we've talked about that a little bit on, on the show before. I'm not going to dive back into that, but if, if you know what I'm talking about, then, then you know what I'm talking about. And, and I think the staff could have done a better job of taking some more kids. If you go and look at Florida State's roster makeup and you look at like a Clemson's roster makeup, it, it looks a lot different. Uh, and it's important that everybody from all different cultures feels like, like they, uh, they're represented on the team. That certainly didn't change in, in the last two years under Willie. So that that's an issue. The other issue is like premium prospects. It when when you combine that it really wasn't cool to go to Florida State there uh to, to play offensive line due to sort of the, the gruff nature. And then you have four offensive line coaches in a four year period and a team that really hasn't been all that relevant in the national landscape over the last four or five years. And the fact that offensive linemen are a real premium position. So like the battles for the for these really Big bodied prospects are are different. Everybody can get a receiver, a, a four star receiver. Not not everybody's going to get a five star offensive tackle. Uh, and we've actually seen sort of NFL draft trends mimic this, right? Like I wrote an article the other day asking, okay, teams are not taking running backs in the first round anymore for the most part. I mean, that I believe the the rate at which running backs are being taken in the first round have been cut in half, and uh, and that's that's tough. Where do all those draft positions go to now, though? What, what what players are being taken in the first round instead of running backs? And and you would kind of think, okay, it's got to be receivers, right? The NFL's passing more, but no, it's actually for the most part offensive tackles. Teams are are, are using premium picks on offensive tackles, and, and I think that's been really reflected 
in, in, in recruiting nationally, just how important those big guys are. And you have to be really unified as a program too, in order to, to kind of get these guys. Ingram, I, I work for a recruiting service, so maybe you want to be the one to say what, what I'm trying to say <laughs> here. Um, yeah, I mean, what you're saying here at the end is uh, is very similar to the conversation that we've had at Defensive Tackle. There's only so many of these out there. Uh, the super elite ones are very easily identifiable and very uh, challenging to recruit in today's modern landscape. And, you know, going up for a five-star offensive tackle or high-quality offensive tackle uh, means that you're going to have to go up against programs like Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, etc. And right now it's hard for Florida State to win a whole lot of battles against those institutions for a variety of reasons. I'll, I'll just expand the window further um, from your original comment. I mean, um, I can remember following Florida State recruiting at the, the, the absolute peak of the dynasty years, and, and fans were frustrated by, um, you know, sometimes the the stars and accolades of the offensive linemen not necessarily – uh, being quite in line with the rest of the class. And it's just a challenge. I mean, you you know, Florida as a state um, gives you tons of defensive backs, linebackers, wide receivers every year. It doesn't necessarily give you a ton of offensive tackles for whatever reason. So you got to go out of state. And frequently, uh, sometimes you got to go out of region. And uh, it is the one position that Florida State has kind of had historical challenges recruiting and um, you mentioned some of the reasons uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with you there. Um, it's just it's just a little bit more of a challenge for Florida State to recruit this position for litany reasons, and that's not something that's necessarily a new phenomenon. Everybody's got to be moving in, in, the, in the same direction, right? Like mom or dad's going to need a job, a really high-paying high job, and that job can't fall through after you've been on campus for just a couple months, right? Like you, you got it's got to stick. And everybody has to be on the same page and and really all in, right? You you got it, got it, got to be all in. You got to be all in, and and linemen again. There's certainly exceptions to the rule, but most times, elite linemen are pretty easily identifiable when they're freshman or sophomore in high school. Again, there's there's exceptions to the rules. There's things that don't always fit into that, but uh, you know it's rare that one of these superstar offensive tackles kind of explodes in his final year uh, of high school ball. So uh, my point there is that these are these are known commodities and kids that have gone through the recruiting process for a long, long time. And uh, you're absolutely right. If you're going to get one of the better ones out there, um, you're going to have to operate uh, at a high level on on both the, uh, the official and unofficial capacities of recruiting. All right. Uh, so Josh wants to know, um, Man, Josh is the master of long questions here. He says, two coaches that come to mind uh, that have had some slow starts are James Franklin and Dabo, who had their regular season uh, three-year record marked at 23 and 13. By the way, this is a lot of math, so I'll just I'll let you all know this, or at least a lot of numbers, no math. Uh, but it found success ranging from a conference championship to a full national title. At 23 and 13, three-year mark is lower than all of their peers at big-time schools records by, by year three, who found success ranging from more national relevance to, to multiple national titles. Uh, both Saban's LSU and Bama stints, Jimbo's FSU stint, Pete Carroll, Mac Brown, Brian Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Tressel, Kirby, both Urban Meyer stints, Bob Stoops, uh, and Rick at Georgia all went 25 and 11 uh, to 30 and 6. Uh, by the five-year mark, Dabo, uh, Franklin, and the others all went 42 and 18 to 52 and 8. I guess my question to you, bud, uh, this long-term rebuild you're talking about, what do you expect this to look like in year three, four, and five? Uh, from a regular season standpoint, assuming the long-term rebuild you speak of is successful. 
That's a really neat question. Um, so I, right. Like I think they'll probably lose five games this year in the regular season, maybe, maybe four or five. I, I mean, three or six is also possible. Certainly. Uh, so you, you already, you already have five losses there. And then, you know, Florida state has not been scheduling, has not been, been basically doing their schedule for, for success in, in the coming years. They, they've been doing their schedule for, for tickets. I, I think what they've been doing scheduling wise is if you're trying to set up Mike Norbell for success, kind of dumb. Uh, I would schedule these like series with LSU and, and stuff like that in the, in the long future, like, like the long-term future, because I think these games make more sense if you're playing in an expanded playoff, right? It, it, right now, the playoffs still, you basically have to go 12 and 0 if, if you're an ACC team. I, I don't think you're really going to get in with a loss for the most part. Uh, and so, like your games, it, you have Notre Dame in 21, in addition to Florida. Then you have LSU in Florida and non con in 22. You have LSU in Florida, non con in 23. Then you get Florida, Notre Dame, non con 24, Bama, Florida, Bama, Florida. Non-con there, 25, 26. And then Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida, 27, 28. And then you get Notre Dame uh, back-to-back years and Florida, obviously, 29 and 30. So, I, I, I mean, you have, like, your expectation is at least one non-conference loss in all of those coming years until 2030. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen every year, obviously. If your expectation is sort of a one and one in those, once you get rolling, you're going to have some years where you go two and zero, oh, and you're going to have some years where you go zero oh and two. I mean, if if you look at at the 2021 schedule for Florida State, and I'll, I'll pull it up here just so I can tell you who they have as far as their uh, their other games. This is not going to not going to be super easy, right? You have Notre Dame in in Doak, uh, you have a game at Florida, and then you go to Boston College. You got a road game at Clemson. That's a loss. You get Louisville at home. You get Miami at home. Probably coin flip there. Uh, you get NC State at home. You get Syracuse at home. You got to go to North Carolina, uh, and and that should be a pretty decent Carolina team, I would think. And then you get Wake uh, on the road. Notre Dame at Florida at Clemson at UNC. What do you think that this team is in twenty twenty one? Probably eight and four ish. Yeah, I, I think that's a fairly safe projection, kind of for where we see them now, uh, where we would like in in a an off season. If you're doing that, then basically, if, if we think they're probably, let's just say, sixteen and eight after two years, we're basically right on right on pace with with what Dabo and and James Franklin were were doing. Um, James Franklin had a lot different circumstances than, than Mike Norvell did coming off those NCAA sanctions for the uh, Sandusky stuff at Penn State. Uh, and then 2022, I mean, you get LSU and Florida in the non-con. You get Clemson at home. You do get Georgia Tech in Doak, which is cool to see FSU playing Georgia Tech again. And you have to go to Louisville, to Miami, to NC State, and and Syracuse. I think, I mean, there's a reasonable case you could maybe go 9-3 and three or 10-2 or and two in 2022 if, if you like your roster by that point, if Mike Norvell has done a good job. Uh, that could give you something like, I mean, that, that would give you 26 and 10 after three years. I think Florida State fans would take that. And that, that'd be higher than, than obviously what, what, what Dabo and, uh, and, and James Franklin have done. Um, you know, now, now granted, if, if you go, if you can pull off a 10 and two there, that means you're beating one of, of the Gators in Doak, LSU in New Orleans, which is basically a road game. Let's be honest about that. Or Clemson in Doak. Is it likely that, that you pull off one of those? 
I think one. I think one and two in those games is probably more likely than an zero and three. If if I had to chart it out, potentially, uh, but it's not like two and one. I don't think is more likely than an zero and three there. Okay, and so then like year four and five, let's just go down this. And this is just me spitballing, right? Like I, a lot of this depends on what happens with with recruiting. You know how how committed is Florida State to really playing uh, playing ball at that level again in twenty three, dude? LSU at Florida. At Clemson, Miami at home, you get Louisville at home. You got to go to Virginia Tech, which who knows what they are at that point. I don't even know if Justin Fuente is their coach at that point. If I had to bet on it, I would say he's not. Uh, you're at Boston College. Traditionally, he's not that tough. Uh, although when Florida State's down, it is. But like again, at Clemson, at Florida versus LSU, it's very hard to see this team making making a playoff if they have those three games on, on their schedule, your best case is probably two and one in those games. And then in order for you to go 11 and one, you need to basically not slip up at all in your other games, which is a lot easier said than done. So where are we at now? Let me think here. We, we said basically maybe if he goes seven and five, eight and four, nine and three, he could be 24 and 12 after three. Maybe he can go ten and two in in that that fourth year. That'd be thirty four and uh, fourteen. That's not too bad. And let's let's talk about about year five here. See what we, what else we have. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Uh, year five. There's no ACC season laid out for year for 2025 yet. I guess maybe, maybe the ACC could move to pods. But you get Alabama and Doak, which is cool according to FootballSchedules.com. And, and you have to go to Florida. Of course, when you go to Florida, you also have to go. And you got to go at Notre Dame, you get Clemson at home, you're at Louisville, you're at Miami, you're at NC State, you're at Syracuse. You do get Duke from the other division that year. That, that's that's nicer than having the Vitek or, or the uh, the UNC game. Maybe that's a year that you can pull off an, an 11 and one if, if you've really, really done some things. But by 2024, like that's maybe a 10 and two is, is possible there again. That would be what, 40, 44 and 16. Yeah, so Dabo, Franklin, and the others were 42 and 18 to 52 and 8. So 44 and 16 would be, uh, be right, in, right in that mark. And, and I think people would be pretty happy. That's, that's several nine and 10 win seasons there. I, I think that'd be pretty successful. I don't, I don't, I don't know about y'all. Let us know on Twitter. And by the way, Ingram, you let me know. That was an extremely, uh, long-winded response. But I mean, certainly Florida State is scheduling some losses for Mike Norvell right now. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot going on there, and that's something that we talk about, and, you know, it's awesome. Uh, I, I love it as much as anybody to find out that Florida State's uh, scheduling somebody like LSU, and I, I certainly wish it was a, a trip to Baton Rouge and not New Orleans, but um, you just have to realize when you're playing teams in the in the 2020 decade, like LSU, Alabama, Georgia, in Georgia in the final part of the decade there, um, you just you – you're scheduling yourself some nice games. You're scheduling yourself some some marquee matchups, but you know you're also scheduling some losses. Uh, so it's interesting to hear you talk about you know what's a, a reasonable trajectory or what people could look for as far as how this uh, program's trending. And yeah, some of the some of the numbers that you talked about anywhere, I think uh, that would have this program in a point to uh, you know go through a season and and uh, look at a two loss season is a is a positive one um, and something that the fan base should look for and uh 
Yeah, the idea of kind of where all these coaches were at this particular mark in time, most of them who had won national championships had already done so. Um, it's just fascinating to go back and look at these numbers and kind of openly talk about what uh, you know what some of the reasonable or legitimate projections for Mike Norvell might be. Yeah, I'm also really interested in tracking how coaches are doing uh, in the early signing period era, like new coaches who, especially the ones that were not internal promotions. Um, you know, Florida, I think on the field, Dan Mullen has done a, a, a really good job and is an excellent coach. Off the field, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Georgia's still kind of beating them over the head recruitment-wise. Probably the most important thing outside of Florida State's control right now, I would say as far as making this fan base happy and accomplishing things, is you, you, you need, you kind of need DJ uh, Uale, the, the quarterback Clemson signed out, out of California, St. John Bosco. You kind of, if you're a Florida State fan, you really need him to not be Trevor 2.0. If he is, good night. Yeah. Well, you just need you need Clemson to get five star itis at some point. You know, you you need historically when you start to get to just pick uh, kids from all around the country, and you know, you're signing the number one or number two kid uh, throughout the nation. Uh, Alabama is really the only program over the last 25 years that we haven't seen suffer some kind of. Uh, you know, loss of, of culture or identity and, and then go into some kind of corresponding tailspin. And, uh, yeah, maybe maybe if Clemson continues to recruit at the national level that they are, that, you know, some of that message and some of the culture that they've been able to beat or that they've been able to uh, build up is uh, maybe starts to erode. And uh, that's just something to look for and something to see uh, from a Florida State perspective if you see any signs of it at some point in the process. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and and end on this one. They write, uh, let's play a game called Which is Greater? A, ounces of Louisiana hot sauce consumed uh, daily by Ingram or number of total games FSU football will play in 2020 and don't spill into 2021. So, ooh, uh, Ingram, I'm going to go ahead and go with games uh, simply because I think I, I think it's doubtful you consume an actual ounce <laughs> ounce ounces of Louisiana hot sauce would be a would potentially be a painful proposition even even fluid ounces right which it's a, it's a sauce so I mean and it's a delicious sauce we're gonna probably round down. Are, are you using more than a fluid ounce of Louisiana hot sauce per day? Uh, it'd be it'd be impressive and probably pretty tough on some of my organs from a, a sodium intake perspective. If I was uh, certainly get the gist of the question here, I think both of us are more inclined to say that these games get played in the calendar year at this point. Uh, again, maybe than we were a couple weeks ago. Uh, all of this is tentative. You know, all of this is uh, can change in a heartbeat and. Uh, tentative in nature and and god forbid if we have any kind of second wave or if we have any kind of uh, second spike then maybe bud and i will will lose some of the optimism that we have in our voice right now when it comes to getting this season in and getting the season in in a little bit more of a traditional time period but uh but for now I'll, I'll certainly take the number of games played in 2020 so b the highest number of points fsu will score in a game this year or the number of resolution home loans finalized by NOLCAST listeners by the end of 2020. Uh, if the answer is, if we're talking about just in the calendar year 2020, I think this question 
is pretty interesting. If the answer is all time, then it, the, the answer is going to be resolution home loans because and, and Shannon Young, because I don't think that Florida State is going to drop uh, like 70 points in a game this year. Unless, unless you disagree, are, are you feeling they're going to drop? Uh, first of all, should, should we treat this question as just home loans in, in 2020? Or should we treat it as all time? Let's uh, let's use the broader number. So some let's say fifty six somewhere in, in that area. Will Florida State score more than fifty six points in a game? Yeah, I'll take the over on that. The FCS team they get is Sanford, which is not a bad FCS. I don't think they do. I'm, I'm going to say no. We have disagreement. Look at that. Everybody always asks us. To yeah, a little little game at the end, a little organic disagreement, definitely. So. Uh, yeah, I'll go the over there. Take the under. We'll uh, revisit at some point in time. Again, thank you to all our, our Patreons. The vast majority of the questions that we took this morning uh, stem from uh, those who support us on that platform. Uh, by no means uh, is that a, a requirement. Uh, if you wish to email us, if you wish to reach out to us on Twitter, uh, we always appreciate any kind of feedback uh, from you. If you have the opportunity to leave us a five-star review, uh, as always, Greatly appreciate it. More important than they should be, uh, but doesn't doesn't lower their importance as is. Uh, and if you have ninety seconds to leave us a, a kind note, uh, it is very much appreciated from Bud and myself. And that'll be this ish, uh, that'll be this episode of the Nolcast. Thank you as always for listening. We look forward to talking to you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.